Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and we've got live PGA Tour players on the course this week, and we are ramping up towards a June 11th return. So we're going to break it all down for you. Let me bring in the squad. Uh, welcome in Mark Immelman. Hey, Mark, from, on a scale from 1 to 10, how excited are you for golf this week? A solid 9.95. No, I mean, I'm, it's way up there. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been holding, uh, Kyle, this is for you, holding thumbs, crossing fingers, whatever you say. Um, it, it's... I. You know what? It's there's been light at the end of the tunnel now that it's 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 going ahead, and we've got golf, and we've got golf beyond that, and then we've got PGA Tour golf. Um, I feel like I have a reason to exist now again. <laughs> you always had a reason to exist, Mark. Um, <laughs> let's also bring in Kyle Porter. Kyle, to me, uh, this is a nice appetizer, and this is kind of a test run to make sure everything goes smooth smoothly for that June 11th return for the PGA Tour. Yeah, considering I'm watching, I'm currently watching Colt Nose tee off at the Scottsdale Open. Yeah, uh, I I think I think that tells you everything you need need to know about about where I'm currently at. I knew it was just a matter of time before you got on those uh, Outlaw Tour live streams, baby. That was I knew it was coming. <laughs> a couple couple weeks behind the rest of us, but I knew you'd get there. <laughs> Proud of you. Um, all right, well, let's jump into this, gentlemen, uh, and let's start with the PGA Tour. Uh, all signals point to we're, we're going ahead June 11th. And the tour has kind of outlined some items that are going to be happening uh, with new kind of rules and regulations in place to try to keep everyone safe. So, Mark, let's start with you. Uh, a couple of, of tidbits here. You know, players getting tested throughout the week, potentially even testing at home before they arrive on site, self-testing. Um, this one I love, Mark. Caddies are allowed but discouraged from touching clubs. So <laughs> you're gonna have to grab your own club out there, gentlemen. Um, uh, but but this is this is kind of where we're at. 2020 post, or I shouldn't even say post, during COVID-19 to golf for golf to exist, these are the things that have to happen. Yeah, to that uh, caddy touching the club thing. Um, certain individuals like to allow the rubber end of the club to leave their hands in a hurry. Now the caddy can go, you get that, boss. I'm not, I'm not picking that one up for you. Um, no, it, it has to be done. And um, the tour has done everything they can to to do the right thing. You know, I know that sounds cliched, but Commissioner Monaghan has spoken with the health authorities and with the president. And, and the Players Advisory Council had a meeting and the commissioner pitched to them. He's like, okay, are you guys in to going ahead at Colonial? And apparently it was a resounding yes from all 16 PAC members that they were ready to go ahead. So the tour is putting the, the systems in place. The players are up for it. Um, I'm sure the fans are salivating at some PGA Tour golf at a venerable venue like uh, Colonial. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. The tour is doing the right thing, but they've got, got to continue to do the right thing. And I'm sure 
to use the term that's been bandied around the place. It'll be fluid. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the first day will be, will be different and then they'll, they'll work from there. I mean, we have to be in town on the Sunday before the Saturday broadcast um, just so we can rehearse before the time because things are different from, for us. So everything's going to be different and people will be uh, obviously keeping live tabs on what's going on. Kyle, are you surprised that the commissioner and in that meeting that Mark is referencing that he got a 16 to, to, to zero vote on that? Are, are you surprised that was unanimous? No, I, I don't. I, I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> <Hello>, Kyle. <laughs> I, I mean, what, what would be the I mean, what are you surprised? Um, I, I mean, when you put 16 people in a room and get them to agree on anything, I guess I'm, I guess I'm yeah. surprised. I, no, no, I'm probably not because I think we knew this was coming from golf. I think golf was, was to be one of the first sports back. We've talked about that countless times. I think that the timing as, uh, cities, states, uh, you know, reopen and, and kind of start their phases. I think this was kind of naturally coming. So no, I'm not surprised, but I mean, over the past couple of weeks and you brought up travel and, and things like that, and the PGA tour is going to, going to try to address that with private charters as well. You just think how many things go into an event, how many, uh, players and caddies and people and everything that's going on that it wasn't 15 to one, 14 to two, you know what I mean? It would still be resounding in, in one way, but uh, the fact that he got a, a unanimous positive vote was, you know, I guess a little surprising. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I just think everybody is so, and, and I, I wrote about this on whatever today is. I don't, I don't really do days of the week anymore, <laughs> but I think it's Tuesday. <laughs> uh, golf has a real opportunity here. And, and so I think you have a couple different things going on. You have people wanting to get back to work, right? I think that's, that's everybody. That's not just limited to golf, but I think you have a public perception that is sort of bending in favor of golf a little bit. Uh, today uh, was a Washington post article talking about like what businesses are Americans okay with reopening. And at the, at the head of the, at the top of the class at, at number one on the list was, was golf golf courses. They, they weren't talking about the PGA tour or professional golf, uh, specifically, but they were speaking, you know, the poll was about golf broadly, generally. So I do think it's funny because, you know, we talked about how public perception was one of the main things that shut all this down with the PGA Tour back to the Players' Championship in March. And it's almost as if it's turned the other way. And, and not, that, not that you're basing everything on public perception, but I do think there's this sense of like, this might actually be okay from a PR perspective if golf is kind of leading the way back out out front, especially within sports. I, I could not agree more. I think a lot of it is, is based on public perception and the PGA tour has a, a lot of positive public perception right now to, to, to come back. Mark, um, I hate to dwell a, a little bit on the negative, but what happens if someone tests positive? Uh, the, the quote from Rory at the players championship, you know, that was two months ago at this point was if one guy gets it or one caddy gets it, you got to shut the whole thing down. Are we in a different place now? Uh, I hate to say someone testing positive is likely because it is. Um, I, I'm not so sure how that will be dealt with. Um, that's why I think daily testing is, is worthwhile. And, and you've got to have those, those immediate tests where you get the results back right away. Again, all I can speak to is, is what my experience is going to be. And, and we are going to be tested before we leave. We'll be tested when we arrive in Fort Worth and Hilton Head beyond that. 
um, will will be tested daily. There's all sorts of protocols in place with, you know, time spent in hotels, travel. Um, and so there's, there's this isolation mentality going on as much as possible. And, and, and interviewing will be different. Um, you know, you won't be so close to players. Um, th there'll be different agendas in place. And so from that point of view, I think everything is being done to mitigate, mitigate the, 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 I don't want to say the inevitable, but, but to do people's very best as folks have been doing with this whole flattening the curve agenda. But the truth of it is, to, to Carl's observation, somebody had to get going and, and and you know everyone has respect i guess is the word for what this disease is and how catching how contagious contagious it is but someone had to get moving and the tour were obviously the first folks so um i, I just think testing is a big deal and as soon as someone's test tested i feel like you may see withdrawals from events i see uh, i think you may see television camera people crew go down I mean, everyone's got contingency plans in place, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I think I think the interesting part here is culturally, what are we okay with? Because you you talk and look like this is a very serious thing and it's not to be trifled with. It's not uh, it's not nothing. Certainly, like I, I just I, I don't know, like what the the number or the percentage or whatever it is that we're okay with broadly as a as a, as a as a culture right and so some of that applies to golf and i just i i don't know how that's going to play out and who's going to lead the way certainly i don't i don't think it'll be golf maybe it's the government maybe it's um the president I, I don't i don't know i don't know who like decides that or kind of shapes that but i think that's the question that i think about a lot as it relates to um, not just golf, but college football and the NBA and the NFL and all these things coming back. The thing to bear in mind here, Rick, too, is that there are no fans for the first four events, and, and that may continue, who knows. But each and every one of these players is an independent contractor, and they're a member of the PGA Tour. And, and, and they can decide not to come and play if they feel threatened. Again, I'm sharing my own personal um, experiences as a broadcaster of these next couple four events. Um, we were asked, are you comfortable with traveling? Are you comfortable with doing it? And then the onus was placed on me saying, are you going to come? Are you prepared to come? Are you prepared to take the risk? And I was like, yeah, sign me up. The players were the same way. And, and, and that's something we have to bear in mind, obviously. And everyone gets, because get, there's this new normal everyone's talking about where people are more focused on hygiene and proper practice and all sort of things. So, so folks are, have signed, the players have signed up, but they will come there with, with a different agenda and it's certainly a different mindset and things will be different. I mean, I, I am so curious to see what the first round on the golf course calling golf is going to be like just to see how people are behaving. And it's going to be fodder for me to talk about in the biggest way. What you just mentioned, Mark, to me, is good or bad uh, why the PGA Tour will kick off June 11th. And unless something crazy happens where a bunch of guys get this, will continue, even as potentially players, caddies, people around the event uh, could contract the virus because it, it's, it's, it's similar to the UFC. The UFC just has to find guys who are willing to participate, who are willing to travel, who are willing to... Uh, say, okay, I'm okay with this. Um, that's why it's going to be more difficult for sports that have players unions, for example, um, to, to, to run with this. Go ahead, Kyle. 
does does what I'm saying like make sense? I don't I don't mean that like it's okay for people to like die. Like that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm no, just saying like no. in it in the same way that we're okay with and again, I know that the coronavirus is not the flu, it's not the cold, it's none of those things. We're okay with these sort of just standards when it comes to the flu. Like people people die from that and we're we're okay with like what was in place. What are we going to be okay with when it comes to this? I think that's I think that's kind of my cultural question that sort of applies to golf because I think it has to apply unless you're just going to shut it down when one person gets it. Otherwise, you have to have some sort of just metric or standard that you are comfortable with or okay with and then just move forward the be- the best way you can. We're, we're, I think we're going to learn what that is, Kyle, because you're absolutely right. I, I don't know if anybody knows that. Um, Nobody. Well, no one knows. That's the <laughs> yeah. Thing. Uh, Mark, so you're you're going to be on site there. And, and I want to like, you're going to be part of this. And mm-hmm. I want to get your thoughts on, I think the tour has a huge responsibility to lead by example. Um, if, the, if, if the tour can come back and sports or sports can go on without a major disaster, I think that's huge, right? I think it would be terrible if, if, if something disastrous happened. So do you feel added pressure? You mentioned it. Hey, make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure you're staying away from people. Make sure you're isolating. Like, I feel like, do you feel that responsibility? And should the tour as a whole, players, caddies, and everyone involved feel that responsibility? Yes. Um, you know, from my point of view, when they asked me if I was prepared to do it, I, I, I didn't even bat an eyelid. I was like, absolutely. I'll make the trip. Um, I will do what I'm, uh, I'm supposed to do, what would be the best for my health and for the health of the folks around me. I think that's the most important thing. But the one thing, you know, as I sit and listen to the conversation now, that occurs to me is that, okay, I, I guess I'm approaching this with a sense of hope and not the sense of fear. Because if I was going into this with a sense of fear of potentially getting the coronavirus when I'm on the road, I'll never leave my house. And I'm, and personally, I don't believe that that's the way that one should exist. It certainly doesn't fit with my belief system. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to do everything I need to. I'm going to keep myself in my hotel room. I'm going to do everything that we have been required to do to, to make sure we just isolate ourselves as much as possible. I won't interact with the players. I will stay far away from them, caddies, whoever. Um, but the one thing we do sort of have going for us when we're on the field of play is with no fans, with uh, what's this field size? 156, I think it is, which is out of the ordinary. And caddies and some volunteers and some camera folks, there's a lot of space. And so I'm expecting it's going to be quiet. It's going to be strange, but that I'm okay with it because you know what? I have the chance to be a part of something that, you know, is, you, I've, I've heard the word said, it's, this is uh, unprecedented. You know, going back and starting is unprecedented. So we all really have a chance to be a part of really something really special. And, and do we look at this with hope or fear? And do we do the right thing? Absolutely. Yeah, this is a, it's certainly a, a historic moment. Um, Kyle, so we we, talk, we know there's going to be no fans on the course for at least the first four weeks. The Memorial would be the first event where fans, or they at least are preparing and they and they have to be for fans to show up. But what type of impact does this have on the tour if we continue for a while with no fans? We, we know the tour, you know, they make a lot of their revenue from, from Wednesday programs, from the hospitality suites, from all that good stuff. Like, what does this look like if we go 
six months, 12 months without fail. Like who knows what this is? Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, revenue wise, it, it, it could be difficult. And I think when you, when you combine, it's compounded by the fact that the tour is a, a nonprofit entity, right? And, you know, people like to joke about that or whatever, but it does create a situation here where, look, I, I'm sure they have some money, like, say, I, I don't know how the, the technicalities of all that works. I'm sure that there is money saved up, stored away in places where it's legally, you know, you're, you're able to do that. But, um, you know, in a, in a real sense, like they distribute a lot of their money to whether it's charity to employees. Uh, I know people that work there and that's like a, that's a real thing. And so you get in, you know, I think something like this affects a nonprofit more than it would, um, you know, a a different kind of organization. And so, whereas people might look at the pro-am thing or the hospitality suite and, and, and all the revenue that comes from that and say, can't you go like six months without that? Maybe, but also you have to remember the nonprofit status of the PGA tour and factor that into kind of the way that, that you're talking about some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a feeling we're going to learn more each and every week uh, as we get closer and, and as we continue through these uncharted, uncharted territories. So um, we'll put a pin in, in that convo for now, and we want to move to uh, the Ryder Cup a little bit. So, so Mark, uh, officially now, uh, Steve Stricker has named Zach Johnson and Davis Love the third as his vice captains, joining uh, Jim Furyk uh, on that team. What do you think of that squad? Uh, well... Davis Love, the the recent addition, you know, but for a miracle at Medina on the Sunday, would be two and zero as a Ryder Cup captain, and, and and he is he's still playing. He's highly respected by all of the young folks. He's likable, and, and he's the kind of guy in the team room that, even though he's softly spoken, he carries a really big stick. You know, Hall of Fame, major champion, Ryder Cup stalwart. And so I think he was a natural selection, and I think he brings a lot to the team room. Zach Johnson is a future captain. Yeah. And, and, and Furyk. Furyk is the kind of guy that he will go out there with those guys and still dust them. You know, he <laughs> hits the ball so well, and he's yeah. competitive even on the big-style golf courses. So as far as youngsters being on the team, uh, and when I say youngsters, you, you've got folks like Webb Simpson and Brooks Kepka and that sort of crowd still involved, and they are – contemporaries of the three guys now that have been added to the roster. So I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I couldn't see right now that um, Captain Stricker was going to be adding anyone just out of the blue to the lineup, you know, coming with, I don't know, potentially a Mickelson or someone like that. Who knows? I mean, that, that may also change down the road, down the road, but right now I think the selections are sensible. Um, and I, I think there's, they bring more to the team room that I think someone listening to this podcast will understand. And and that's why I think it's a good call. I think the, the, I think it's interesting because you, you talk about creating a little bit of the continuity that the Europe has had over the years, right? Where you're bringing in some of the same guys. And when you win, like in Hazeltine, the narrative becomes, Oh, there's a ton of trust. You know, the, the, the the continuity and the group is really gelled together over the years and this is going to be a 20-year thing and then when you go to paris it's like it's just a feedback loop they're just get you know same thing as always just getting the same feedback within within the room and that leads to all these losses so 
you do like you you do take a little bit of a it sounds weird but you do take a little bit of a risk with having some of the same guys over and over because if you lose that it it just looks like you're unwilling to change things up i hear you the players were roundly whipped in paris there was not bad groups there was not bad strategy they went to a golf course that was set up against the united states strength the the it was a partisan crowd and the americans just didn't show I, with regret to everyone on that lineup the euros were up for it the americans were up for it and the truth of this all captains or no captains it's the dude that gets on the first tee with a golf club in his hands it's on you in the end uh, whether you get put with a guy you don't like speed read for argument's sake get over yourselves and go and play that is the nuts and bolts of the thing as i see it uh yes you're i i'm i'm not saying that I, i agree with you about the players thing and i think that that comes back to like i've said this a hundred times on here nobody on europe's team is talking about what freaking ball they're playing you know rory's not like well i had to hit a uh a callaway ball or a titleist ball he just beats people and i think what you've gotten from tiger and phil over the last 20 years is like well you know the spin rate on the the tailor-made balls using just wasn't what i mean and it's like what the hell like what does that even mean like just go beat people you're the best player in the world and that's just the ethos of the of the european team versus the american team and and i don't know how much your captains and vice captains are really going to affect that maybe maybe they do I, i i don't know you've probably been closer to it than i have mark but that is that's my once and forever take on the the Ryder Cup teams and it is a valid point that you make there Carl and the 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 captains for coaches they they have some sort of say in this thing that's the one challenge of captaining a united states team every single year president's cup ryder cup whatever it's murder is row all right they're always going to be the higher ranked team but the problem with this is they all come with a healthy healthy dose of ego as well So getting these guys to line up behind a common vision that is probably the biggest challenge. I I think right now the vision has been defined. It's like okay, you're not playing for yourself. You can play with whatever ball you work you 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 might be you might have to, but we're playing behind the flag. And, and the one thing about it you might not believe it, but a guy like Zach Johnson is awfully opinionated, okay? And he carries a pretty strong opinion. Davis same thing. You wouldn't think so, but when he talks people listen. And yeah. Steve Strick is that kind of a guy it, it's the same deal. The, these are three of the nicest guys in the tour but for if if I'm new in that team room I'm like yes and amen and I'm going to do exactly what you guys want for us to somehow win this Ryder Cup back. Okay, I think that's actually the point about Zach Johnson. I I like Zach Johnson as a vice captain and then a potential captain a lot. Um I think his style of play on the course what we see from him And this is going to this is going to sound bad but he is um he's kind of like neurotic like he's always like checking the wind a couple times and like reconfirming everything with his caddy and I think that actually lends really well to something like this. We saw him in Australia running around for Tiger and getting everything done and he looked like he's super involved and like mm-hmm. that's the kind of guy I want out there. Uh but but Kyle what we also heard out of Australia was almost to a man saying we're playing for tiger we're playing for tiger are we going to hear a lot of guys echoing that sentiment hey we're playing for stricker like th- this is our guy we're rallying around yeah i th- i think so i mean i think everybody there likes stricker a lot um 
maybe more so than like the average golf fan would would think. This is this gets at my take of like Tiger has more value as a captain or vice captain than as a player, though. I I floated that during the 18 PGA at Bell Reeve and just got lit on fire, like just got <laughs> just ejected into the universe. And uh then Tiger went over at Paris and I retweeted myself because I said Tony Finau should <laughs> I said Tony Finau should have been on the team. And Tony Finau went two and one in Paris. He played great. But I, uh, the tiger effect is real as it relates to guys wanting to win for him. And, you know, I give I get made fun of and rightfully so for saying that tiger has more value as a, as a captain or vice captain. But man, I just, I don't know. I think that is, uh, that's, that's one of my takes that I'll, I'll kind of be out on an Island on. I'm kind of with you over there. Uh, look, a, a captain they've earned this role. You don't stumble into a captainship of a United States Ryder Cup team. Okay. Now, Tiger, obviously, the record is bar none. Actually, there's one guy that's still got him on the major championship list. Uh, the achievements uh, are off the charts. A lot of the records we discussed in this podcast will probably never be matched again. And so from that point of view, Tiger has the respect of the folks in the locker room. But I think the playing for Tiger thing was more like the respect for Tiger coming back because it would have been easy, easy, easy for Tiger just to just wash off his hands and go, I'm done with this. I don't really need to play golf anymore. I've achieved everything. I'm Hall of Fame bound, blah, blah, blah. Steve Stricker has won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award twice. <laughs> back to back <laughs> years. <laughs> and I think from that point of view, and just because of the way that he treats people, he has garnered a whole heap of respect for everybody, and I don't care what that individual's ranking in the world ranking is, Steve Stricker has a lot of respect from the players on that team. Uh, if you had to pick an underage 30 captain, who would you guys take? Colin Marikawa. Mm. <laughs> You'd also be like your under 23-year-old captain, too. <laughs> oh, man, that's really tough. Um, okay, I don't want to pander to you, Kyle, but um, in the same way that I think Zach Johnson would would be a great captain, like wouldn't Jordan Spieth be a great captain? Yeah, he'd be awesome. Like right, like that guy who's like super crazy and like and like worried about every little everything that's going on on the course is like who I want to be my captain. I mean, he's not going to make it as a player, so you might as well do, do something. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> that was like a self burn for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Speed is the right answer because I think that you know I think the obvious choices are him and JT. How old is Kepka? Is he thirty? He might be uh, thirty. Might be. It's got to be close. But uh, Patrick Reed, I think, is under thirty or right around there. Um, but I think yeah, Speed. I think. <laughs> yeah, he's been he's been real great for American team rooms over the years. Yeah, could you imagine a Patrick Reed captaincy? <laughs> I mean. Oh my gosh. It, I, I, I would root for it to happen just for the, I, I mean, Jacob, just, just for the, I want hilarity. you to Jacob. I want you to record Kyle's observation over there. And when Patrick Reed is a beast in a few months time, you play it back to him and we play it back on this podcast. Cause Reed is going to do just that. You mark my words. I, isn't I Reed have that like, marked in there right now. And you, I think you guys are missing a big guy who would absolutely under 30, break the Ryder Cup format, and that's Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that is uh, good. That's Goodness. really good. Producer Jacob from behind the glass just dropping bombs. With a bombs bomb. 
that's good. So uh, Patrick Reed's Ryder Cup and President's Cup record. Uh, he is. This was during the President's Cup last year, I think. He's eight one and three with Jordan Spieth as his partner in President's Cup and Ryder Cup. He's oh six and zero with anybody else as a partner. So, well, in other words, pick Spieth in the captain's selection. Keep bringing me the read takes there, Mark. Uh, all right, gentlemen. Spieth. Well, yeah, you can pick Spieth. Uh, speaking of uh, partners, we are going to see some golf on the course. We are days away from tailor-made driving relief, Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson taking on Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. I was trying to come up with like this thing. I was going to be like, oh, you know, the greatest player on the face of the earth is playing and also Rory McIlroy. I was going to try to figure out a joke like that, but I couldn't, it didn't work with these other set of players here. So I'll save that for another time. Um, Mark, let's start with you. Obviously the excitement level to just see golf on television, uh, see the big names play is, is 9.9. Um, but, but what is it? I mean, for me, I, I'm excited to see the course, to see, to see Seminole and, and how it looks on, on TV. Like, I think there's a lot of things just outside of the guys playing on the golf course. That's going to be awesome this week. Yeah. The golf nerd in me is looking forward to seeing Seminole and just everything that Seminole is going to present, even though this is a four ball or best ball contest, you know, the design, I was just, I was on the line with Bob Ford, the head professional there just earlier today and just asking him about the course and it's going to play firm. There's, there's some rain forecast early in the week, but it's going to play firm and fast. It drains well, greens are pitched up ball. He says the ball rolls forever. And so it's going to challenge every department of guys games. You've got 18 holes that essentially move in different directions perched right on the edge of the Atlantic ocean with crosswinds. And, and, and he giggled. He said, everything in my spirit is hoping that the wind blows on these boys <laughs> just, just to see what they've got. And so the, the golf nerd in me wants to see some crosswind. I want to see some firm. I want to see these guys have to basically show their stuff and, and flat balls and hit chip and runs and, and, and just be a little smart, even though it's a best ball going to be birdie fest, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing that element of it. Kyle, it's going to be really easy for us to overreact to everything that we see for uh, sure on Sunday, right? Um, any loose shot that any one of these guys hits were, you know, we're, we're trying to get buyouts on our master's bets or whatever. Right. I mean, what, what, <laughs> what should be, what should be our takeaways uh, from this on Sunday? Just that golf is on TV. Honestly, like, I mean, if this was like, let's pretend like the Memorial was this weekend. Even if that was it, there's no, there can't be a long-term takeaway. So much, I mean, even how much more so the fact that it's an exhibition, right? I, I just, if people are like, well, Ricky's probably going to win a major later this year because of this. It's <laughs> like, I, I can't take you seriously, right? Um, I, I just think it's going to be, honestly, like it, these next two weekends are just a celebration of golf being able to come back in, in the way that it is. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at with this. All right, well, let's uh, let's get on the record here. Uh, so Rory and DJ, pretty significant favorites, Mark. They're minus 220. Ricky Fowler and Matt Wolf plus 190. You've got to pick a squad. Who you got? As much as I like the boys from Stillwater in the wind, uh, Rory McIlroy has played that place a lot, apparently. His father, Jerry, is a member around there. It's the kind of course I've heard from the head professional that loves a little local knowledge. Now, everyone plays that Seminole Pro member there. Matthew Wolf has played it one time. 
DJ plays there often. He lives down in the area. So I'm going to give the nod to the favorites right now. All right. Mark's taking the favorites, Kyle. I think they are significantly the better team, obviously, Rory and DJ. Uh, Rory might be able to win this by himself. But if there was ever an opportunity to bet an underdog, I think it is right now, this current situation that we're in. So I will go down and take Ricky and Matt Wolf. Uh -oh. Me too. Oh, look at grab him. a, grab a screen grab. Somebody Dude, Jacob's cool. gonna grab a screen grab of this. There we go. Uh, that is a he's holding up a great looking Oklahoma State. What's this mascot's name? Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete. Okay. Uh, football helmet. That is pure fire. So that is gonna be the two of us on uh, Oklahoma State boys, Ricky and Matthew Wolf. Gentlemen, golf is back. Um, this is yeah. going to be. This is going to be the part of the show where you guys depart. Uh, so let me thank you first. Uh, let me thank you, Mark Immelman, for joining us. It's Mark underscore Immelman on both Twitter and Instagram. It's Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. I'm going to talk with Nick Bogdanovich, the director of trading at William Hill. We're going to talk about sports betting and how golf plays into all of this. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman with a very special guest that I'm excited to pick his brain just a little bit. On the line, we've got Nick Bogdanovich, the Director of Trading at William Hill. Hey, Nick, how are you? Doing great, gentlemen. Uh, director of Trading. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, talk, talk to me about what that actually means on a, on a daily basis. Uh, basically, we put up some lines, take some bets, and away we go. It's bookmaking. Uh, it's just a fancy title for a, a bookmaker. Uh, you know, I, I'm in charge of uh, risk. Now, are you overseeing a specific region? Is it all of the U.S.? Is it global? Yeah, it's U.S. Uh, we're in about, how many states are we in? About 11 now, so and about four more to be added once uh, this COVID lifts. So, yeah, I'm in charge of uh, the risk for uh, William Hill U.S. 
All right. Well, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about that. But since you mentioned uh, the COVID situation that obviously we're, we're all in the midst of right now, uh, how creative have you guys had to be, whether it's trying to find uh, specific things to bet on? Just, just talk me through what this uh, sports shutdown has, has kind of changed the landscape for you. Yeah, the landscape is dramatically different uh, as far as if, if you're in the sports betting business, whether bookmaking side or a betting, betting side. Uh, obviously, the big four is gone. Uh, now the big four is South Korean baseball and Nicaraguan soccer and Russian ping pong. So, uh, yeah, the landscape is completely different. Well, I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't uh, uh, guilty of, of making a few wagers on uh, on Korean baseball and and Russian table tennis, but well, that's something else we can we can talk about. So when it when it comes to setting lines and uh, managing risk, uh, what we kind of always talk about here is, and, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong, Nick. Um, we, we, you know, we say Vegas, right? Vegas isn't trying to necessarily predict the outcome of the game, but, but trying to get money spread out to minimize that risk. Is, am I on the right track? Uh, some, somewhat. Basically, you just want to get a line that's somewhere in the neighborhood. Uh, you're hoping for a little two-way action. You just, you, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to get exact two-way action and earn your little juice. You, you usually have a decision, uh, but you just don't, you don't want to put a number up there so bad that it just runs one way. So like in an NBA game, uh, you would hope that if you open the game three, it wouldn't close seven. Uh, if you open the game three and it closed three and a half, four, that's fine. Just want to be somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you always have a decision. Uh, it's just a matter of how big the decision is. Now, Nick, what I imagine uh, is a giant supercomputer uh, about 10 stories high that takes all, all the information from yeah, past, past games, uh, maybe injuries, maybe all this stuff. It plugs it into a big algorithm and pumps out a number. Um, does it look like that? Uh, very advanced algorithms, or is there, is there also a lot of uh, manual human, human element to it? Uh, there's still a lot of manual human element. Uh, the in-play is algorithm-based. Uh, you know, you know, you're talking about six billion scenarios. So that, that spits out some algorithm. But as far as putting up NFL or NBA lines or Major League Baseball lines, that's still done manually. As we turn, uh, obviously, our our focus is primarily on on golf here at, at the first cut. And uh, I'm a little bit biased, but I believe that uh, golf is a very, very good uh, betting sport. Uh, now, not in terms of necessarily how, how many wagers you guys are taking, but the way that it's designed where it, you know, it lasts four rounds, you can get some pretty significant long shots on outrights. What's your opinion on golf in terms of how it fits in with the other sports in, in the betting world? Uh, golf is probably the, the, the most underproducing uh, sport when it comes to golf betting. I, it's my favorite sport. It's numero uno on Nick Bogdanovich's chart. I absolutely <laughs> lo love to play it, and I think it's fantastic for betting, but the masses have not gravitated toward it whatsoever. We'll do quite a bit of business with the four majors. We'll do some business with the Ryder Cup, but on a week-to-week -week basis, it lags way behind the big four, and it lags way behind UFC and boxing at five and tennis at six and soccer at seven, so... You know, golf's probably coming in the eight hole, and, and it really, to me, I can't figure it out. 
but it really, really underperforms. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, why, why is that? I mean, my, my general assumption is uh, the, the target demographic of, of golf might skew older, uh, but generally they would have disposable income. The UFC is obviously a much different gem- demographic, probably much younger college age, a little bit older than that males. Uh, any, any takes, any theories on why golf might be, might be lagging behind a bit? You're asking the wrong guy because I absolutely love it. I, I, I don't see that there isn't anything that isn't appealing. Golf is in the best it's, uh, best condition it's ever been in. I mean, Tiger's playing. Uh, it goes 30 deep on, on, on people who can win majors. I mean, the, all the young kids are great personalities and classy, and there's just so many good stories, and, and, and golf's never been in better shape yet. The masses do not get to the betting windows. I, and, and I wish I could give you an answer, but I really don't understand it. All right. Well, we're going to do our best here to try to tell people how great golf betting is because uh, I, I love it week in, week out. There's so many different options with outrights and head-to-heads and three balls. Um, but when you're, when you're creating wagers, um, one thing that I've kind of heard is y- – do you have to get approval for certain types of bets or are you able to just kind of put anything you want on the board? Obviously there has to be a way to verify the outcome and things like that. But what, what are kind of some restrictions when it comes to a a potential uh, line being set? Yeah. I mean, we have, we're in, like I mentioned earlier, I think we're in a 10 or 11 States and different uh, regulations in different States. Some are a little easier, some are a little harder, but there's a lot of uh, smaller markets that we have to get approval for, uh, but it's, you know, it just depends on which jurisdiction you're in. The one that I always kind of hear a little bit about is, uh, for example, in New Jersey, I might not be able to make a wager on Rutgers football. Am I on the right track with something like that? You're 100% correct. Uh, anything involving in, New, in the state of New Jersey uh, with a Jersey school, you cannot bet. So Rutgers football basketball there's you know Princeton and Rutgers and you know a few others so yeah that that is one of the limitations as we you mentioned kind of the new big four including Korean baseball Russian table tennis um, what do you think makes those sports obviously the fact that they're going on that, that they're happening but i assume the ability to watch them drives a lot of the action right you know kbo being on espn at night if i'm placing a wager i generally want to invest in the the sweat aspect of it too it is just having something to be able to view and and keep you entertained is that a big part of why people are betting on on sports it's a huge huge part of why the masses normally bet uh, there's no question that the game's on TV. We have a bigger handle on that game. That's, that's without question. But that leads us back to the big mystery question of the last 60 days, Russian table tennis. Uh, is not on a viewing as far as I know. You may get a delayed feed somewhere streaming, uh, but for the most part, you're sweating a, a, a scoreboard. And yet, it, it's bet with both hands in, in, in New Jersey, Iowa, Nevada, uh, the faraway places. Everyone's reporting an outstanding handle on Russian table tennis. It goes all day long. There's 100 matches a day. They're over in 30 minutes, and people love it. But again, as far as I know, there's no real great viewing on that. So again, that defies defies the odds one more time. 
Interesting. I did not uh, realize it was not as readily available as some of these other sports. Now, speaking of readily available, Nick, um, I, I know, and again, this is probably different in, in, every, in every situation, but talk to me about the difference between having to actually go into a brick and mortar to place a wager or mobile betting. Because from my understanding, uh, it, it, mobile betting doesn't necessarily come to every state once it gets legalized. Am I right about that? You're right again. Uh, some states have no mobile wager and you have to actually go to the casino. Uh, but in the ones that do have both, uh, retail uh, and mobile, uh, some people feel more comfortable walking up to a window and and giving the betting numbers to the clerk and getting a drink ticket and hanging around and watching the event with, with a lot of people. I think retail will always be out there and, and it's an exciting place. You know, if you've ever watched a game in a sports book, it's pretty fun. Uh, but the trend is mobile betting. Uh, I think when it's all said and done, mobile betting will probably be 75, 80% everyone's business just because of the convenience factor and the fact that you're sitting in your chair and you can just keep rolling bets over and over and over again. You don't have to get in your car, drive to a parking lot, walk a long ways to make the bet. So mobile will be king, uh, but there's always a special place for retail. I love going into a sports book. Uh, there is nothing like uh, celebrating a win or loss with hundreds of your closest friends at a sports book, for sure. Uh, one other trend that I've really noticed, especially in, in our world in golf, and uh, NBA is a great example of this, is it seems like the time that wagers take to get graded uh, is getting shorter. And what I mean by that is betting a first quarter, betting a, a first half as opposed to an entire game. As our data gets quicker, as books are handling this information quicker, are we going to see this trend continue? Am I going to be able to bet a hole of golf, whether Tiger Woods is going to make birdie or par, for example? I would hope so. Uh, and, you know, obviously a, a lot of it is tech. You know, tech-driven. Uh, can't do you have the ability to offer that or not? Uh, but that would be super to be able to, you know, offer Tiger birdie par or other on that hole, and boom, as soon as the hole's over, get it graded and move to the next hole. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that those things are. We understand the need of that, and you know, when something is is finished, you want it graded as fast as humanly possible because let's face it no one has just a jillion dollars laying around you you need the funds to be able to move to the next wager so uh, there's no question uh, tech improvements is a must for our uh, industry yeah and you better believe if i win a bet on tiger on the 11th hole i'm rolling that right over to the 12th hole baby let's keep it let's keep it going um i, I want to purely speculate here for a little bit nick and you know it's one of these situations i i I'm looking at the ramifications of this sportsless world we live in. People maybe not wanting to go to a, a brick and mortar to place a bet. And also states looking around and wondering, hey, do we need to find a way to make more money, quite frankly? Um, do you envision kind of an acceleration of states legalizing betting as another source of, of revenue? Uh, you, see, you see where I'm headed with this? I would think so. Uh, I, to me, it's a no-brainer, but obviously I'm too close to the situation. There's all sorts of factors involved there, and each legislation is going to make the decision based on what they think there is best for their state. But 
I, I do believe when it's all said and done of the 50 states, I, I'll, I would believe at least 40 of them will have it. And at some point, all 40 will have mobile wagering. Sports wagering in America is... I would describe as it is, is in its infancy, uh, especially compared to some of the other, you know, European countries, for example, do you guys take a lot of information from other countries and use it as a model for what works or doesn't work over here in the States? No question. And I believe they do do with, uh, you know, the same thing with us, uh, but it is, it is a industry that is in its infancy. Uh, we're learning things all the time and it'll only get better and better, but you know, I've been in this business since 86, and I, I, there's no question that sports betting is at its best place that it's ever been. You've never been able to bet on as many things as you can right now. When I broke into the industry in 86, there was no NBA first quarter betting, and, you know, there wasn't a second half on every college game. And in the Super Bowl, there was like four props. Now there's a 400. So uh, there's no question that sports betting is at an all-time high, but it's only going to keep getting better. The, the competition is going to drive it. I, I love it. Now, um, I've got two more for you before we let you get out of here. Uh, you mentioned where William Hill is is currently available right now. We're talking about uh, growth and acceleration in the United States. I, what is the future for William Hill? Will we be seeing more, hearing more about William Hill coming to more states, I assume? What does this look like, you know, six and 12 months out? Yeah, for sure. Uh, right now, we're the leader in the U.S. Uh, we're in the most states. Uh, we write the most handle. So I don't see that changing in, in, in the in, in the near future. And finally, uh, we'll end on this. The Masters will be played in November this year as opposed to its traditional April date. Nick, who's going to win the Masters? Well, I wish I knew. Uh, I was just reading an article on that yesterday on it. And, uh, you know, usually the Winning score could be 10, 12 under. Uh, they're, they're thinking because it's going to be so cold in November, it's going to be a lot lower score. So maybe two, three under might win this thing. So, uh, but it's going to be wide open. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll, they'll, they'll all be in great form by then. We'll be coming off a great Ryder Cup, and people will be excited for the Masters. But I'll, I'm going to go, even though cold weather wouldn't uh, help this guy because he's an Aussie, I'm going to go with Adam Scott to win, the, win his second Green Jack. Well, I'll tell you what, that smooth swing can certainly get a lot of things done. That's Nick Bogdanovich, Director of Trading at William Hill. Thanks so much, Nick, for hopping on today. My pleasure, gentlemen.